We're finishing up uh, the Friends series. If you've been around for the last three weeks, you know we've spent an awful lot of our time talking about what does it look like for me to be a good friend, and what, what do great friends uh, do in our lives? And we've just been trying to up uh, the friendship quotient. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 simply says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man uh, sharpens another. And we've just been having an ongoing conversation to say, what does it look like to be the type of friend who sharpens my friend? And what does it look like to have friends in my life who sharpen me and, and to do that? And today we're going to turn this thing uh, completely around. Because if it's true, follow me on this, if it's true that there are friends who sharpen us, who, friends who at the right moment say the right thing, friends who, who make us better because of their friendship and their encouragement, then it's got to be equally true that there are friends who dull us. There are friends who slow us down and friends who, who keep us from moving in the direction we need to move in the speed that we need to move in that direction. If there are friends who sharpen, then there have to be friends who dull. And what we're going to discover today is that there are moments in our life when the most powerful, the most healthy, and actually the best thing that you and I can do is actually set up boundaries uh, within our friendships. Uh, that when we begin to say, hey, you know, honestly, this is, this is a friendship that just constantly brings chaos to my life. This is a friendship that is always exhausting. Uh, this is a friendship that always seems to go off into the ditch somewhere that those are probably signs that you are lacking or missing biblical boundaries within that friendship. And it is not good friendship to keep going into the ditch. And that you and I need to address those types of friendships within our lives. Let me, let me see if I can help with that a little bit. Okay. Um, how, many, how many of you have ever been to SeaWorld and you've seen the splash zone? Okay. All right. So... There we go. Okay. Okay, these are ponchos. I'm just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> You're not too sure how far that line goes. I, oh, I've got some towels. I've got some towels here. There you go. There you go. Okay, so here's, here's, the, here's the thing. You get that whenever a friend makes a decision, there's repercussions from that decision. In other words, in other words you, don't, you don't make a decision and there not be consequences that are not be ready. Splash that comes over in your life. And so when you are living in proximity with a friend who is consistently making bad decisions in their life, then you're living life in the splash zone. Okay? So in that moment, then you... Oh. Okay, so here's the thing you need to know. If it weren't for the electronic equipment up here, I would have so splashed you. I would have done it. I would, they wouldn't let me do it. But you get the moment, right? You get, and it, I loved right here. Okay. And, and here's the reality, guys. Some of us ought to be that way about our friendship. Some of us ought to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. I think in my friendship, I am living in the splash zone with my friend. I think I, think I constantly find myself dragged back by this relationship. I, my life, I mean, my life has so much drama in it 
because of this friendship uh, in my life. And here's what we're going to discover together. That is not good friendship. That is not healthy friendship. Matter of fact, Scripture is going is to push you and I to create, you ready, biblical boundaries in some of our friendships that are less than healthy. They are dulling friendships. And so what the Bible is going to come back and say is, look, uh, you've got to figure out how to begin to say to that friend, look, here's the deal. I'm not throwing you away. I'm not, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not ending our friendship. What I'm saying is there's got to be some agreed upon rules. There's got to be, we've got to agree on how we're going to treat each other and how we're going to respond to certain moments. Because here's the deal. I cannot live in the splash of your bad decisions. I can't live in the drama of your life. And, and, if, and in the moments in which you're going to make those decisions and behave with those behaviors, I'm going to create some healthy boundaries, some distance that keeps me out of the splash zone. And, and so here's the deal. When you and I are together as friends, this is how we're going to agree to behave. When you're away from me, you, you can go do whatever you're going to do. But when we're together, these are the healthy boundaries, the biblical boundaries that, that are going to direct how we treat each other. Let me, let me see if this helps a little bit. I had a couple uh, a while back that came to me and said, Lynn, this, this has been interesting because we haven't been Christians that long. We didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so now we're trying to raise our kids right, and we've got these two precious little girls. And he said, ironically, uh, the thing that's causing us the most struggle right now are my parents. Uh, his parents uh, owned a motorhome. They would travel uh, all over the United States, and a couple times every year they would pull up in front of their son and daughter-in-law's house and park there for a while, plug in. And, and it was kind of a good family time. They'd be there and hang out and, and the little girls would go out into grandma and grandpa's, you know, motorhome and play games and do all of that. But he said, here's my problem. Uh, my parents who don't know the Lord have, have never been spiritual people. They have pornographic pictures all over on the inside of their motorhome. And it just doesn't mean anything to them. That's just how they've always been. That's how I was before I came to Jesus. But now my little girls... <laughs> are going out into that motorhome to play shoots and ladders with grandma and grandpa, and there's these pictures. And he said, I'm not just talking about risque pictures. I'm talking about horrible pornographic pictures. And he said, I just don't, I just don't want my daughters to expose to that, to think that's how women are supposed to be viewed. And so I, I had to go. You ready for this? I had to go to my parents, and I had to create healthy boundaries. I had to say to mom and dad, look, I, I, know, I know you don't get this, and I know you don't understand where I'm coming from. I, I, know, I know my whole life is, as you raised me, it was around uh, this type of stuff. I'm just choosing not to have that for my daughter. So here's, here's the biblical boundary that I just have to set up in our relationship. When you come to visit, my daughters cannot go out in the motorhome. They can't. You can come in the house. You can take them to McDonald's. You can do whatever you're going to do, but my daughters can't go in the motorhome. Or the other option is, is that when you decide to come to our house, you have to do it the rest of the time, but when you come to our house, you can take those pictures down. And if you'll take those pictures down, then my daughters can come out to the motorhome and they can, uh, they can play out there. It's fine with me. I just, I just refuse for my daughters. I'm going to set up a biblical boundary in my life that just says, you can't, but here's what you need to hear. Here's the other shoe down in this conversation. If you just refuse, if you just say no, 
and, and you're going to come, and you're going to take my daughters out there, and you're going to expose them to those pictures, then here's what you need to know. You're not welcome to come. If you won't do friendship with me, if you won't do life with me, with healthy biblical boundaries, until you're willing to do that, then no. No. And I'm going to suggest to you today that the Bible actually has multiple areas. We're going to go over four together today where it says you need to establish, you have got to establish within your life, within your friendships, within your relationships, healthy biblical boundaries. And you've got to ask your friend that's causing all the drama. You've got to ask your friend that's constantly running your relationship in the ditch and say, look, these, these are now going to be the biblical boundaries that we, because here's the deal, I'm not throwing you away. And the reality is, the reality is this. Me asking you to do this differently may actually be a blessing in your life. This may, this may be the best thing that could happen for you. And so we're going to begin to navigate our relationship with healthy biblical boundaries. I can't afford my, ready? I can't afford my life to be doled by our friendship. Okay, so we're going to walk through the four. Grab your Bibles real quick and, and we'll just jump together into number one. Uh, and grab your Bibles, go with me to the book of Galatians, and I'm going to encourage you to, to use your Bibles and to follow, make sure that we're staying on track with what Scripture says. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, you're going to find this book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, and here's, uh, here's relationship number one. This is the place where God says, look, you've got to start putting uh, biblical boundaries. It's with friends who are deeply needy. Friends who are deeply needy. Uh, you'll know this because it seems like as long as you're in relationship with them, you are perpetually exhausted. And I'm just going to say to you that if you're here today, and if you are intuitively a counselor type, this first one's going to be really, really hard in your life because there's something about you that actually runs toward neediness. And, and there's something about you and your self-esteem and, and what you enjoy doing in life is that you enjoy rescuing people who are really, really wounded and struggling. And I'm just going to affirm that that may be how God has wired you and done it. But you realize there's a line you can cross where you stop being helpful and you start being harmful. You stop being a solution and you become an enabler. And the Bible's going to say, before you do that, we're going to create a healthy boundary. Matter of fact, go with me to Galatians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 2. Here's what it says. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. And I know some of you are going, whoa, 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 Lynn, wait, wait, wait. I thought you just said uh, that we were, we were supposed to create some boundaries with people who are needy. That passage right there says, carry one another's burdens. And when you carry one another's burdens... In that moment, you look like Jesus, because that's what Jesus would do in the lives of people who were needy. Go further. Go with me to verse 5, and here's what it says. For each one should carry his own load. And what I'm going to suggest to you here is that Scripture's trying to be very, very clear and say, look, there's a difference between helping somebody with a burden and helping somebody with their load. Here's what a burden is. A burden is what happens when life is unfair. A burden is what happens when someone loses their job and you go, wow, I mean, great employee, faithful, did their job, and I mean, the economy just went south. I, there, it's just the absolute unfairness and unfortunate moment of life. And I mean, now all of a sudden, it's hard to pay bills. 
Unfair is what happens when somebody gets in a car wreck and now all of a sudden people are in the hospital. Unfair is what happens when a child rebels. It's, it's those moments in life when you go, look, this is, this is not the result of bad decisions. This isn't the natural outcomes or consequences of, of being reckless in their life. This is, this is just life throwing curveballs. This is life being hard. And in that moment, you and I look at our friends, and you ready? The burden, the added burden that they're being asked to carry in that moment. And I'm going to tell you that in that moment, when our friends are being weighed down, and you and I look and go, man, that is backbreaking. I, 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 I wouldn't want to go through what they're going through right now. And it's just like every time they try to get, they get kicked again. And Scripture is so clear to say, when you and I see that transpiring in the life of our friends, that as a friend, you go help. You go say, look, hey, let me take part of that. Let me help you with that. Because this isn't, this isn't life as usual. This, this is life on the wrong side. And, and you don't have to do this by yourself. Contrast that with, my load. In other words, those things which I ought to be responsible for. Those things which I should be willing, just so that I carry my own responsibility, that I do what I'm supposed to do. The Bible says everyone should carry their own load. They, they should live with what is theirs to do. They should live with the consequences of whatever bad decisions they decide to make, whatever recklessness they do, and then whatever that, that's just your load. That's all about you. Let me see if this helps. You have a friend that comes to you, and they lost their job two months ago. And they say, look, um, I've been looking for work. I haven't found anything yet. I've got an electric bill. And I just don't, I don't know how to pay it. And, and I, I don't want to get turned off on my wife and on my children. And I was just wondering, is, is there any chance that you could loan me some money just to get me through? And I'm just going to say to you that if you look at your friend and go, hey, this is, this is just life coming and biting. This is, this is the unfairness of what happens sometimes. And my friend didn't do anything to be out of a job, and it's just, I think your answer ought to be yes. I think in that moment, if you can, you ought to say to your friend, absolutely, I, I will carry, I'll help you with part of that burden. And maybe even, I, I think you might want to consider and say, look, it's not a loan. It's a gift. And, and I'll pay that electric bill. Matter of fact, I won't even just, I'll pay next month's too. You don't have to worry about it, and you don't have to carry this by yourself. I, I'll help you carry this burden right now, because you're my friend change the story. Your friend comes to you, says, hey, uh, you know, I've been out of work for two months, and electric bill's coming up, and I, I'm not sure how to pay it, and, you know, I just don't want the electric to be turned off of my wife and my kids, and I was wondering if you'd give me a loan, but you know that after they lost their job, they went on a family vacation to Disneyland, and I'm just going to tell you, your answer needs to be completely, at that point, your answer needs to be, not a chance, not a chance. Because what you're asking me now to do is carry your recklessness. You're asking me to, re to rescue you from your own bad decisions. I wouldn't be a good friend if I did that. 
I'd be an enabler if I did that. And the reality is the best thing, you ready for this? The best thing that could happen in your life is for you to sit in the dark with some candles going on and make a decision then, I'll never, 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 never go on vacation again when I've got other responsibilities in my life. I will not rescue you from your own burden, your own bad decisions, your load. Guys, I'm just going to say to you, parents, we are horrible about this. We, we somehow decided that it is our job as parents to save our children from every bit of discomfort and every bit of pain in their lives. Are you crazy? Our job description at parents is to cause suffering in the lives of our children. That's our job description. <laughs> we got some good parents in the room. Now, a while back, I, I, had a, I had a family come to me, and they said, hey, uh, our, our son, our son is just one problem. He's got so many problems in his life, and we're just at our wit's end. And I said, well, what's going on? And I said, well, you know, he, he never finished high school. He, he started ditching classes, and he didn't like his teachers, and he was bored to go to school, and so he just dropped out. And then when he dropped out, we said to him, hey, uh, you know, if you're not going to go to school, then, then you need to get a job. And I said, well, did he get a job? No, he just sat around playing video games all day. And I said, well, what happened next? Well, he started going out late at night with his friends. He wouldn't come in until 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. And we started figuring out pretty soon that the friends he was hanging were the wrong type of friends. And we kept saying to him, hey, look, you gotta, those, are, those, are, the friends you're, those are horrible friends. You're, they're just going to take you the wrong direction. And he wouldn't listen. And pretty soon he was doing drugs. And we, we tried to say to him, hey, look, you, this is, this, these are horrible life decisions. you got to stop doing drugs. And I said to him, I said, all right, so while he's out, staying out till 3 o'clock at night, playing video games, hanging out with friends, doing drugs, are you feeding him? Oh, yeah, we were feeding him. Well, why were you feeding him? Because he didn't have a job. Okay. What happened next? Well, uh, he, they ended up uh, breaking into houses to support their drug habit and he got arrested, and we had to bail him out. And when we bailed him out, we said, hey, uh, you're going to pay for this. And uh, I asked him, I said, did he pay for it? And they said, well, no, he didn't have a job. And here's what I said to those parents. You ready? Your son does not have problems. You do. You do. Because let me tell you what you've done. You've taken every consequence of his life, ready? You've taken every problem that he might have, and you've loaded it on your back, and now it's become a burden. The truth is, your son has a fantastic life. He can do anything he wants, and there's no consequences. Who wouldn't want that for a life? And the most powerful thing, the best thing you could ever do for your boy, give him back one of his problems. Let him live in the reality of the consequences of his poor decisions. Don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare take his load and make it your burden. You're insane. Matter of fact, think about this. Guys, think about this. If their son keeps behaving that way, and if God loves their son, and God keeps saying to that boy, look, you need to come home. 
You need to stop doing the drugs. You need to stop hanging with that crowd. You, you need to stop doing criminal activity. If God's trying to get his attention and he's not listening, he just says, God, stick it up your nose. If that's his answer, what's God going to do next? He is going to apply the hand of instruction to the seat of his understanding. Okay? I guarantee you God's going to bring discipline in that boy's life. Now think about this. If mom and dad are running in front of God's discipline, if mom and dad are rescuing him from every single problem that God brings in his life, then guess who's getting the spanking? Mom and dad. And if God really, really loves that boy, and mom and dad keep getting in the way and intruding on what God is doing in his life, then what's God got to do? He's got to spank twice as hard so the son would even notice. And I'm just going to say to you guys that one of the most health, unhealthy things we do in our lives is to rescue people who constantly generate chaos and constantly generate in the need in their life by making poor life decisions. And we think we're carrying their burdens. We're not. We're carrying their load. And you're in the way. And the most powerful thing you could do to them is say, hey, no, 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 no. This isn't life throwing you a curveball. This isn't, this isn't some unfortunate. This is you making really poor decisions financially. This, this is you talking back to your boss at work. This is, this is you hanging with the wrong crowd and doing the wrong things. And I will not take your load. There's a second place where God says, hey, you've got to create healthy barriers. It's not about throwing them away. It's about saying if we're going to navigate life together, we're going to navigate it. We're going to navigate it with healthy boundaries. Here's the second place. You and I, you ready? You and I cannot be in romantic relationships with people who don't know our Jesus. You can't. You cannot be in a romantic relationship with somebody who does not know your Jesus. Now, here's the thing I want to say. If you're in this room right now and you're pre-Jesus and you're, you're still trying to explore this thing and you're just trying to figure out who Jesus is and maybe even, maybe even the person you're dating, the Christian from Cornerstone, is the one that brought you today and you're sitting here going, what, 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 what do you say? Look, I'm not trying to put you down, okay? So let me just say this. I'm not trying to put you down. You have all the time you need. You get to figure out. You're not the one that's making the, the, the bad decision, Okay? It, it's your backslidden boyfriend that's making the bad decision. It's your backslidden girlfriend that's making the bad decision. And here's, here's what I'm going to say to you. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're dating a backslidden Christian from Cornerstone, here is my best advice to you. As you walk toward the parking lot before you get across the patio, break up. Just go, look, I am, I am out of this relationship. I'm not doing this anymore. And, and if they offer you a ride home, go, no, 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 I'm calling a taxi. I ain't going anywhere with you. I'm going to create some good biblical boundaries in my life. Okay? And you go, you go wait, 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 wait. Why would I do that? And, 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 and how can you say that my boyfriend or my girlfriend who knows Jesus is backslidden? Well, okay. Grab your Bibles. Go, go with me to 2 Corinthians. It's going to be a little bit to the left in your Bible. 2 Corinthians. And if you closed your Bible, go all the way to the back, work to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I, I'm being serious. I'm trying to help you here, okay? 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14. Here's what it says. You ready? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols? And I'm just going to say, guys, if, if God can be that absolutely clear about what we're supposed to do, and a Christian says, I'm just going to blow God off and disobey it anyways, you're backslid. I, I don't know any other thing to say to you. And if you're somebody who doesn't know Jesus and you're dating a backslidden Christian, my best advice to you is run as fast as you can. And here's why. Let me, let me tell you what's going to happen if you keep dating this Christian. Uh, you're going to start having sex. You just are. Because since you don't know Jesus, the Bible doesn't mean a whole lot to you, so you're not going to care that the Bible says wait till marriage. The backslidden Christian that you're dating is already blowing off Scripture anyways. They're going to go to bed with you. You're going to start having sex. And the problem is, when you start having sex, your brain turns off. Because all of your blood starts rushing to other parts of your body. And you start doing really stupid things. And the next stupid thing is, you're going to go, let's get married. So you're going to make permanent this misalignment uh, in your life. And here's the thing that ought to just terrify you if you're dating a Christian and you aren't one. Someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ as they live their life in disobedience, only has two directions to head, okay? So you're going to be married to them, and somewhere about three or four years from now, they're going to start feeling convicted. They're going to go to a church service, and they're going to go, oh, I've been living the last few years of my life absolutely out of God's will, in disobedience. They're going to get on their knees, they're going to repent, and then they're going to get up, and their eyes are going to be, ah! and they're going to be one of those Christians. And you're going to be like, how did, how did I, who is this person? And then are you ready? They're going to start trying to change you. And you're going to go, wait, this is the most unfair thing. When I dated you, you weren't this type of Christian. But I'm just telling you, God is not going to leave them alone until they get right. Or if they continue to live in constant rebellion, then God is going to spank the holy behoobers out of them. And then you're going to be sitting there as their spouse going, I wonder why we keep losing jobs in this family. I wonder why nothing ever comes right. Because God is spanking your spouse. And I'm just saying to you, look, dating a, marrying a Christian will mess you up. So here's what you do. Reach into the card, the back of the seat right in front of you. There's cards there, the response cards. Just fill it out and go, we are breaking up. And hand it to that Christian right next to you. Right now, just Done. If they won't put a godly barrier in their life, you put it there before they ruin your life. God. How many of you guys uh, know who Judge Reinhold is? Okay, a couple of us. This, this will be a great illustration. You guys will look at it. All right. Uh, Judge Reinhold is an actor, and, and you've seen him in some films. He's one of those guys, you don't know his name, but you know, you know his face. He was in Beverly Hills Cop. He was in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He was in Santa Claus. A uh, bunch of movies. And if you saw his fit, you go, okay, I get it. So here's the deal. About 10 years ago, we had him for a friend day. And we were saying, hey, Judge, you know, tell us how you came to know Jesus Christ. It's an interesting story. Uh, he's on a film set. And as he's on this film set, he sees this young lady uh, working there who's just different than everybody else in the room. There's just something about her personality. There's just something about how she carries herself. They just went, this, 
this gal is like magnetic. And so he uh, finally uh, got up the courage and went over and started talking to her and said, hey, could we do lunch sometime? And she said, no. And he, he walked away going, you don't get it. I'm, I'm the star of the movie right now. You're just one of the production people. I asked you out. No. And uh, he went back several more times and said, hey, you know, come on, really, just, you know, one time. I don't bite and all that. And, and, and finally she gave in and said, okay, we'll go do lunch. They are 10 minutes into lunch. She looks across at Judge Reinhold and she says to him, you need to know this is not going to get romantic. I believe in Jesus Christ, and he is the most precious thing in my life. And I cannot imagine attaching my life to someone who does not know my Jesus and love him as much as me. To which Judge Reinhold said, well, I can go to church with you. Because, because, guys, that's what people who don't know Jesus say to Christians. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Let's go to church. I like church. <laughs> that's what you do until you get them married. So he goes, yeah, I'll go to church with you. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I love church. He goes, hey, you know, he gets to the first couple times. He's trying to figure out, you know, can I hold her hand yet? You know, can I put my arm around? Do you know that? But about the second or third sermon, all of a sudden, he starts listening. And by the end of the third sermon, uh, they say, hey, if, if you just want to figure out Jesus, then you come forward, we'll talk to you. And he finds himself going forward and asking about Jesus, and they lead him in a prayer to ask Jesus Christ in his heart. And he says, you know, I got done with that prayer, and I opened my eyes, and suddenly it occurred to me, oh, no, I'm one of them now. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is they didn't, they didn't end up dating uh, he did end up eventually later on marrying a great Christian woman, but those two didn't date. And I'm, I actually think that was probably another wise thing on her part because, guys, guys, I really believe that whole unequally yoked doesn't just apply to people who don't know Jesus and do know Jesus being in a relationship. I think it goes further. I think it goes to mature Christians bonding their lives to immature Christians. If you, if you are someone who's way, way, way down the road with Jesus and you marry or get into a relationship with someone who's barely, barely, you will drag them along. I mean, that, it'll get ugly. They'll, they'll scrape their ankles. It just gets bad when you do it. And I, I just want to tell you, it's worse. You ready for this, ladies? The only way to make this worse is if the lady is the mature Christian and the man is the baby. Because then she's going, okay, Tommy, come on. Come on. Okay, it's time for you to spiritually lead now. How bad is that? And I'm just going to suggest to you that in your romantic relationships, you've, you've got to set up some healthy boundaries and say, look, here's the deal. I'm not going to date people who don't know me. I'm not throwing people away. I'm just saying, look, I can't be in relationship with you in a romantic way. And next lap, I'm not going to be unequally yoked with someone who's way, 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 way behind me in their walk with my Savior. I need someone who can walk with me in this thing. Third area, third area in which I believe Scripture calls for healthy biblical boundaries. Friends who lead us into temptation. Friends that whenever you and I get out with them, somehow it goes somewhere it shouldn't go, and we say things that we shouldn't say, and, and we do things that we had no intention when we first started hanging out that we were going to do that. But as we look back, we go, you know what? Every time, every time I'm with them, this thing goes somewhere. Ladies, 
my guess is, my guess is you got a friend. <laughs> and every time you go out for a Coke or go for a coffee, it turns to gossip. And, and we're saying catty, vicious, mean things about everybody else in the circle. And you don't start that way. That's not where you intended to go. It's just where it goes. When you put you two in the room together, that's where it goes. Guys, you got friends. And, and all you're doing is you're leaning up against the car and you're just, you're just talking about life. But inevitably, it gets lewd. Inevitably, we're talking about women and saying things that we shouldn't say and giving descriptions we shouldn't describe. And it just goes there every time. And Scripture comes back and says, look, you need to create healthy boundaries when you realize there's a friendship that every time you engage in that, it, 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 it runs you off the track. I had a young man who grew up in my youth group years ago, and we'll just call him Johnny. And uh, Johnny had just finished high school, and he'd been one of those kids who kind of bounced around and never could quite find his place in life. And he walked in one day and announced, he says, hey, I'm joining the military. And I said to Johnny, I said, dude, you and I need to talk a minute because here's the deal. The military is going to do some really good things for you. There's, there's some just growing up that they're going to force you to do. There's, there's some structure that they're going to give that you need in your life. But here's the other thing. You're going to be around a whole bunch of other young men who are struggling with the same thing you are. And I'm just going to tell you, there's going to be a lot of influence on you to go do some stuff that you should not be doing because that's just what guys in the Army do. And you need to set your face and you need to decide right now that you're going to go influence them. You're not going to let them influence you. He said, okay. Johnny came back about nine months later on furlough and said, how's it going? He said, it's not going real well, Lynn. I said, well, what's happening? He says, the guys, I mean, all my friends, I mean, when we get leave, I, all they want to do is go head to the bars. And what I've discovered about myself is once I start drinking, I don't stop. And, and I find myself waking up in people's lawns I don't even know. I, I drink until I black out. And the thing is, my friends actually think it's funny, and so they actually invite me along. Sometimes they're buying me drinks because they just think it's great to see me be goofy. And, and I just said, look, Johnny, you're, you're going to have to go back and say, look, I, I, can't, I can't go there with you. I mean, I'm not telling you to lose your friend. I'm just saying you gotta, you're going to have to put up some biblical, healthy boundaries and say, look, every time I'm with you, and this is me, I... I go somewhere I don't need to go, and I do some stuff that I don't need to do, and Johnny, this, you, you've got to do this. Anybody want to guess? He was too afraid. <laughs> he was too worried to lose his friends. I watched Johnny's life spiral out of control. I watched him lose job after job after job for showing up drunk and hungover. I watched marriage after marriage crash. I just have thought a hundred times what would have happened if Johnny had set up a biblical boundary way back when. How different would his life be instead of continuing to hang out with guys that he knew led him into temptation. Now, I'm just going to suggest today that some of us in this room, and you know it, you know it, every time I'm with them, we say things, we go places we have no business going. Matter of fact, let me, let me show you a passage in scriptures in Deuteronomy. And if you're not real familiar, just go right to the front of your Bible. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Here's what Deuteronomy says about friends who lead us astray. It's Deuteronomy chapter 13. 
Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6. Get ready. Hang on. Here we go. If your very own brother or your son or your daughter or your wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your fathers have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to him or listen to him. Show him no pity. Do not spare him or shield him. You must certainly put him to death. Your hand must be the first in putting him to death, and then the hands of the rest of the people. So there's the answer. Just kill him. No. No. But here's what I do think it's saying for you and I. If you and I go to set godly boundaries and say, look, I, I can't go to the bar with you anymore. I, I, can't, I can't have those types of conversations with you anymore because it just takes me, I'm not, this isn't about, it takes me somewhere I don't need to go. And I am so serious about this, I will kill the friendship. I mean, if you and I cannot agree to a healthy boundary here, I can't have you be the one that keeps sucking me off into temptation. And I will kill the friendship if you and I can't agree to a godly boundary. Last one. Friends who fight to win instead of working to fix. Let me say that again. Friends who fight to win instead of working to fix. In other words, you get into a disagreement with your friends, you get a disagreement with your spouse, you get a disagreement with your family member, and instead of working to solutions, instead of saying, hey, look, I get it, this is a problem, we're disagreeing about this, let's figure out how to navigate this well and do it better next time, and we're actually going to get to a solution. Instead of that, it suddenly turns, and this comes up to be, I'm going to win the argument. We're no longer fixing the relationship. I'm just going to wear you out. I'm going to say horrible things to you. I'm going to wound your heart. I'm going to bring up the past. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to win. Okay, so let's do this. Okay, so let's let's say this is my friend. I I couldn't bring a real friend because I didn't have any. So I, I brought my cardboard friend. So let's, let's say this is my friend. And we're having a disagreement right now. We're, we're, we, I loaned him some money a while back. And uh, he, I said, look, you don't have to pay me until, until you've got some money. But here's the deal. He hasn't paid me back anything. And in the meantime, I've watched him blow money on a whole bunch of other stuff. And so now I'm coming back going, dude, what are you do? you're not paying me back. And he goes, well, you said you, I could pay you back when I had money. And I go, yeah, but you're spending money on all sorts of other stuff. So there's a part of our, this is our relationship. And there's a part of our relationship that right now is not working right. And at that point, as friends, what we got to do is say, what, is, what does it mean to put this back together? What does it mean to bring this into a place of health in our relationship? What, how are we going to agree to do loans next time? How are we going to fix navigating the loan this time. Or ladies, maybe it's like this. You got a friend, and every time you get in a disagreement, she goes and tells your other friends about what you're disagreeing about. It's as if she's lobbying all of them to be on her side against you. And so you say to her, hey, wait, 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 wait. We can't do that. I mean, let's, let's not do that as friends. Let's, if we've got a problem between us, let's keep it between us. And she's going, no, I, you know, I just want other people's counsel. Okay? And so you're trying to Fix the relationship. You're trying to come up with guidelines for relationship. But somewhere in the middle of the discussion, you ready? It stops being about fixing this and turns ugly. And now it becomes about winning the fight. 
And so now your friend is willing to say whatever they have to say. They're willing to yell about whatever they have to yell about. They're willing to wear you out whatever they have to do. They don't care in the midst of that whatever harm that they would cause. They just want to win against you. And they're willing to say you are a dirty rotten and you're crumb and you always and you're a blankety blank and I don't like it. And you're laughing. But isn't the truth? Every one of us has experienced this. Every one of us has been in a discussion that went personal. And, and it no longer became, let's fix the problem. Let's be better friends at the other end. And instead became, I'm going to win. I'm going to call you enough names that you give up. I'm going to degrade your character to where you just crawl away. And if that doesn't do it, sometimes we go, I'll get physical. I'll punch you to win this argument. And I'm just going to say, Scripture says <laughs> that is completely unhealthy. Matter of fact, you, you don't have to turn there, but let me, let me read you this passage out of Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 22. Verse 24, here's what it just says. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one who is easily angered. And, and I, there's got to be a point where you say to that friend, look, here's the deal. I am all about fixing relationships. I'm just not about wounding lives. And, and we just got to have a, a, a biblical boundary that says, look, the next time it starts to get heated, the next time this thing starts to ramp up and voices start to raise, then it's got to be okay to go, hey, oh, time out, time out. Ooh, cooling off, period. Because if we don't stop right now, we're going to say things we shouldn't say, and we're going to do things to each other we shouldn't do, and, and we're just not, not going to do that within our relationship. And if your friend won't agree to that, and they say, no, 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 because one of my joys in life is ripping you to shreds, then you just got to go, we're not going to do relationship until we have a healthy boundary within our relationship. Now, guys, here's, here's my best guess. That as we've gone over these four things, my guess is you've seen someone in your life in one of these categories. You've seen someone, you go, wow, that's, that's why that friend is so exhausting. I keep thinking I'm helping them with their burdens. I'm taking their load. I'm picking up their reckless decisions, and I'm taking away their consequences. And I'm carrying them on my back. Some of us in the room go, I'm in a relationship with someone who doesn't know my Jesus. And I know, I, I knew all along I was being disobedient, and I, I need to go have a cup of coffee. And I need to say to them, look, I'm, I'm not throwing you away. I've just been misbehaving. And I'm sorry for any hurt this causes you. I'm sorry for any harm. But I just can't imagine myself in a relationship with someone who doesn't know my Jesus and love him as much as me. Some of you in this room, you've got a friend, and every time you're with them, you, you slide off into temp. You do stuff that you know does not honor your Lord, and you've you got you to go back, and you've got to have a cup of coffee, and you've got to say, look, I love you, and I, I, I'm not trying to end our friendship. I'm just saying when we're together, we can't gossip anymore. I'm just saying when, when we're hanging out, we, we can't talk about women like that anymore. If you're going to do that, you've got to go do that with the other friend. You can't do it with me. Because it just takes me somewhere dark in my life, and I can't go there with you anymore.
And I'm just telling you, the moment we begin to, the moment someone says something mean, the, the moment someone says something lascivious, I'll get up from the table and I'll go home. That's the healthy biblical boundary. There are some of us who know someone who just fights dirty. Like I said, look, we're going to start calling timeouts. We're not going to keep wounding each other. That's not friendship. That's war. There are some of us in this room that if you were really, really honest, you're the friend slowing your friends down. You're the one that always brings temptation to the table. You're the one who makes reckless decisions in your life and then asks everybody else to pay for it. You're the angry one who uses words to wound and your strength to win and you don't fix things. And how powerful would it be today if instead of waiting for them to put up the biblical barrier, that you went back and said, you know, this is me and I get it and I'm just going to put the barrier up. I'm just going to tell you I won't, I won't treat you that way anymore. I won't say those things to you. I won't encourage you in sin. I'm going to be the better friend. And I've just got a feeling some of us need to have a cup of coffee this week with a friend. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, uh, we simply come to you. And we've been asking you all along to make us better friends. Today we come to a moment where we say, you know what, there may be people we've allowed in our lives who are keeping us dull. They're, they're holding us back in our walk, and we're not getting where we're supposed to get. And, and the only answer is to set up clear biblical boundaries, to say, look, I, I still want to be your friend, and I'm, I'm not throwing you away, but there's some moments that we're going to agree to be different with. There's there's things that we're going to navigate in a new way as friends, and, and I, I just got to tell you, we're going to establish biblical boundaries within our friendship because I, I cannot afford to live in the splash of your recklessness. I can't, I can't afford your friendship to keep dragging me back in my walk with God. And so we're going to establish some rules in our friendship. And God, for some of us in the room who maybe are the ones that need the rules, what if we took first foot forward? What if we were the ones that said, look, I, I, I don't think I've been a great friend to you. I think I've encouraged temptation in your life. I, I think I've fought with you in very unfair ways. I think I've asked you to carry part of my burden and expected out of friendship that you would do that for me and it had nothing to do with friendship at all. It was my poor decisions. And I'm just choosing today to be a better friend to you. God, what if... What if the best friends that any of our friends would have would be us? It'd be the Christ followers of Cornerstone. That would be a good day. And to this end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.